my advice would be to try and try having different coffees for different times of the day or different weeks or whatever your mood is. What is a fair coffee? How do we know if our coffee tastes good? What is the best way to preserve coffee and to prepare it? But first of all, which tips can we follow to buy our coffee? Locale. Local. Shop. Local. Cambiamento. Tapir. Gergelecta. Sacula Ijaya. Food. Change. Slow Food, the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Slow Food, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the beauty and complexity of good, clean and fair food systems. I'm Valentina Gritti, I'm your host and a Slow Food Youth Network activist. On this podcast we meet change makers around the world who are working towards a more sustainable food system and promote a slow lifestyle. Today I will have a conversation with Silvia Rota, one of the coordinators of the Slow Food Coffee Coalition. Have you had your coffee already, Silvia? <laughs> yes, I have it here with me, even though it's pretty hot. So I'm waiting a little bit <laughs> to drink okay. it all. And this episode is dedicated to all of us who not only want to make more conscious choices, but also want to participate in building a sustainable and ethical coffee industry by taking small steps towards a better coffee world. First of all, welcome Silvia to Slow Food, the podcast. I'm super happy to have this conversation with you today. And it's all going to be about coffee from the supermarket, actually from the farmers to our cups. And you are a coffee expert because you're working for the Slow Food Coffee Coalition. And now you're going to tell us something more about what it is exactly. And I'm really curious to know uh, how a person that has not that much knowledge on coffee can understand better about it, about its quality, about how to, to store it, how to purchase a good coffee and how to taste when a coffee is good or, or not good. So um, I'm super excited about uh, where our conversation is going to take us. Thank you, Valentina. Thank you for having me here. So my name is Silvia. And I coordinate together with uh, another colleague, uh, Emanuele, the Slow Food Coffee Coalition Network. The Coffee Coalition Network is actually a network of everyone involved in, in coffee supply chain from the production to the consumption. Is it like um, a sort of brand or is it like a coffee community or how would you define the Coffee Coalition? So the Coffee Coalition is... We, we call them networks um, because it's more like a community uh, than a brand, but it's also kind of a brand. Uh, I'll explain you why, because it's really a community where individuals and slow food communities can exchange ideas, solving problems, uh, know each other. The real strength of this network is putting together all of these links and let them know each other without passing from the usual uh, market of coffee so that they can, for example, roaster can directly meet producers uh, without having to rely on market and stock prices. I'm saying that it's also kind of a brand because uh, the Slow Food Coffee Coalition logo is used uh, on 
coffee packages of some of the roasters participating in the coffee coalition because these roasters bought coffee from a slow food community that developed their own participatory guarantee system initiative. That means an alternative method of certification that communities develop in order to certify that the quality of their coffee is in line with the slow food principles of good, clean and fair. And that way the roaster can display uh, the Slow Food Coffee Coalition logo on the package to say Mm -hmm. uh, that the the coffee is not just good, but also clean and fair. Um, And it's part of this beautiful network. So if I understood correctly with the um, um, participatory guarantee system, there is like a, um, let's say, community of farmers that they all uh, grow coffee and they um, certify each other in a way. So like they check that uh, all of them are meeting certain requirements or standards and then they mm, have like... um, yeah, this guarantee that the coffee is of that quality, or how, how does it work exactly? Can you tell us a bit yes. more? Yes, so um, participatory guarantee systems are called second party certifications because they're not just self-certifications of farmers, but they're also not third party certification systems that are the ones that we are more commonly commonly used to to know like the organic fair trade or other kinds of third party certifications where um, an external certification body comes and check with inspections the farms uh, pgs systems are different in a way that the community of producers develop together with other stakeholders on the ground and they can be consumers for starters, but also members of NGOs, traders, roasters, baristas, everyone who's interested in certifying that kind of production. And they collaborate together to guarantee that those farmers are following some standards and principles. And in the case of the Coffee Coalition, of course, it's just not... um, Uh, cultivation standards, but also social and uh, sensory standards that all of the Slow Food Coffee Coalition community decided together uh, when the the network was started. Okay, and um, where is the Coffee Coalition located? Is it like worldwide or is it particular in a special area? So I this moment, we have around uh, 30 to 40 communities from uh, slow food communities uh, participating in Coffee Coalition uh, Network, and they come from all over producing countries, like from Central and South America, from Africa and Asia. But also, we also have communities in, in consuming countries, so we have uh, communities in Europe, in America, and uh, Northern Europe, yes. Uh, so all over the place. Uh, the network is still pretty young because it was launched in 2021, uh, but it's growing fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I guess there is a lot, a lot of requests of being part of this network you know, from both sides, like the consumer side, but also like the producer side. Yes. Um, 
we're very happy about that. <laughs> the Slow Food Coffee Coalition has just launched a guide called Brewing a Better World, the Responsible Coffee Lover's Toolkit, which is a special tool for all of us who love coffee, including practical tips to consume a better coffee from the social, environmental and sensory point of view. We wanted to create a really simple guide to help anyone interested in knowing a little bit more and consuming a better coffee from the uh, environment point of view, but also from the organoleptic point of view. So the first thing that we always say when they ask, uh, how can I purchase a better coffee? How, mm-hmm. Where do I find, find a better coffee? It's hard to draw simple answers from these questions because the you know the the matter is huge. Coffee is a really complicated supply chain because it's very long, and consuming countries are located not not in the producing countries, so the travel of the coffee is very is very long. But where what we always say is to check the origin of the coffee. Uh, ask for the origin of the coffee if you're, if you're at the bar or if you're buying coffee wherever you usually buy your coffee, just look at the package and see what it says. Because an example we like to make is that you would never buy a bottle of wine that just says 100% grapes or 100% mm-hmm. Italian wine because we just don't accept that anymore. Uh, We want to know who made it, or at least where it was made, like the region, the country, the the specific uh, city. So what we say about coffee is the same. Don't just adjust for coffee that says 100% Arabica or 100% Colombia, but especially don't accept coffee that just says from central, south, Uh, America, Africa, and Asia, because that's the whole coffee belt in the whole world. So they're just basically telling you, you're just buying coffee that is produced where it's usually produced. (laughs) So ask for the specific origin, uh, because the more we ask, the more um, people selling coffee will be forced to tell us uh, the answer and to ask for the answer themselves. So mm-hmm. the most important thing would be the origin and some kind of traceability track uh, on the coffee, whether they tell you something, whether it's a narrative label that says more than just the, the origin, that's the, that's the best thing uh, that you, can, you could ask for. I imagine that if you buy a coffee like from um, an industrial roaster, most of the time they buy the coffee grains from a lot of different locations and then they mix them up in order to have always the same flavor, right? So it's a bit more difficult to find an industrial coffee that it's from a single origin. Yeah, I'm not just saying that it has to be a single origin because uh, blends are totally fine if you want to achieve a certain flavor. But even in that case, you must be able to track down how the blends were made, 
so I'm not saying that we all have to just consume micro lots where you have the name and surname of the specific producers, because obviously those are very uh, small productions. But even if we just know more about the origin, that means that we can give more credit to the farmers making coffee. And that uh, leads to having a fairer retribution for the people making the coffee. Otherwise, you just lose track of who's making it, and then you're not sure whether their percentage of retribution was adequate or not. And also something that I I noticed maybe even a bit more than the the origin because until now, yeah, I've paid attention to the origin, but not that much if I have to be <laughs> true, but I'm gonna do it <laughs> from now onwards. But for example, it's very common to find like a hundred percent Arabica. Oh, or um, like a, I don't know, espresso brand, uh, blend. So um, can you tell us something also about that? So like what is the, the difference between Arabica and Robusta coffee and the blends and maybe where they are from normally? Okay, so the funny thing is that um, coffee, Arabica and Robusta are actually not two varieties, but they are two different species. Coffea arabica and coffea canephora are arabica and robusta. Uh, robusta is known as robusta robusta because um, it has more uh, flavor notes that remind of a bitter taste, like a chocolatey bitter taste. And they, it's also... Uh, in the cup, it's more robust. <laughs> it's it's more dense. It makes more cream on top of your espresso. While Arabica is usually more like on the floral notes and more fresh and uh, and sweet than robusta. Um, but they they're usually blended together because in the end they make a nice cup. For example, Arabica and robusta are just two species, but in like the coffee genus has like something more like more than 100 species inside and which we're just used to consume and cultivate uh, these two more than others but um, there are a lot actually and why is it that we chose these two instead of the other 98 <laughs> varieties well arabica surely for the flavor uh because it's really good and uh, it's usually considered higher quality than Robusta, but actually Robusta is really um, grows at lower altitudes. So it's actually more resilient against climate change than Arabica is. Uh, and it's also very productive. Uh, so that's also why it costs less than Arabica, because it produces a lot more. Uh, so some might say that Robusta will be our uh, chance to have coffee in a climate changing world because the Arabica cultivation is in serious danger of um, becoming less and less uh, with temperature rises. Mm -hmm. And do you think there is any chance, just out of curiosity, of maybe reintroducing one of these other forgotten species now that the Arabica is suffering from climate change? 
Yeah, a lot of people, especially in the specialty coffee world, are looking at other species to, you know, try to solve in time the problem of the decreasing of production of Arabica. And yes, this might be an answer, but also what we really promote is coffee and we, I mean, Coffee Coalition Network, of course, is the um, consumption of coffee grown in agroforestry system, meaning uh, a coffee that is grown where it would normally thrive. So generally in a forest ecosystem where coffee is not the only plant growing in the plot, but you have uh, other shade trees like for that can be used for wood or, for example, banana plants that can be used also for uh, food production. Let's now meet Elvia, one of the producers part of the Slow Food Coffee Coalition, who is carrying out this type of agroforestry practice. Bueno, yo soy Elvia Villani Catalán. Soy una mujer indígena de la región montaña del estado de Guerrero. My name is Elvia Villani Catalán. I come from an indigenous community of coffee growers in Guerrero, Mexico. El café para mí es como si fuera mi religión, mi todo. Coffee. For me, it is as if it was my religion, my everything. Coffee can give us so many things. It is not only a delicious drink, but it's a source of income for my community. The coffee plantation is so beautiful. You can walk through it, see an orange and pick it from its tree. You can find bananas, limes and medicinal plants. You can also plant your vegetables in between the coffee trees. We call it an edible forest. Walking through this forest It's very relaxing and it benefits your health too. We, as indigenous people and as coffee producers, safeguard the mountains. You can understand when it's an indigenous community growing coffee because we take care of the whole ecosystem around it. Now, there are fewer and fewer youth who want to take care about coffee plantations because of migration. My project and my goal is to restore indigenous coffee edible forests and to engage other youth to follow me. And um, Silvia, for example, um, you mentioned that on a, on a label we can find about the origin, we can find probably about the composition of the coffee, like if it's um, Robusta, Arabica or a blend, but we cannot normally see if uh, it's like from agroforestry production, right? Or is it written? Well, not now, not necessarily. It's not compulsory for anyone saying how it was cultivated. But more and more, especially small roasteries, because they have more freedom to adapt to the also to the uh, to the market uh, requests, are starting to write how it was cultivated. It's written like a hundred percent grown in shade and that's uh, generally what I'm referring to and also mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about small roasteries because uh, I'm seeing a shift also in bigger companies uh, because there are more there's more and more interest for uh, quality in coffee so not just mass production but also looking at this especially at the specialty coffee world and understanding what works even from a consumption side. Uh, so we hope that also the market 
uh, will drive towards a more equitable uh, supply chain. And so once we get our uh, package of coffee, uh, we take it home. What's the best way that we can store it and prepare it? Okay, so before storing it and preparing it, I must say that the best thing is to buy whole coffee beans. So mm -hmm. if you can, uh, just buy whole beans and grind them at home uh, anytime you have to make a coffee for two specific reasons. One is because coffee and beans will keep fresh longer than ground coffee. And also because most of the aromas and flavor of coffee um, is at its peak when it's just freshly ground, whilst the more of the surface is exposed to air, the more it will oxidize. So it will start to lose uh, the flavor. So if you buy a coffee from the supermarket ground that was there for like two years, I mean, it's still probably safe to consume, but most of the flavor will be gone by then. Uh, so it will be not as pleasant as it would be freshly ground. Uh, another uh, couple of tips would be to store it in an um, airtight container. So air exposure is what uh, causes this uh, decline in flavor. Uh, avoid moisture for sure, um, because that you know, uh, could help with uh, building molds or losing the, the characteristics of coffee, protect from light and not have a really high temperature. So like in a fridge, is it okay or <laughs> better outside the fridge? Oh, yeah, the discussion is still open. So if you can store it in a fridge in an airtight container, that should be good. The, the only thing you want to do when you store it in the fridge is to avoid moisture to go in contact with the coffee. But there are a lot of roasters who also uh, freeze coffees uh, ah, over time so but the beans like yeah. the coffee beans mm, okay uh, so I wouldn't say like don't store it in the fridge because of course if you have a really really hot house or you live in a humid and hot environment then maybe the fridge is a good idea uh, because you mm. want to avoid uh, higher temperatures and moisture so it really depends on the situation what do you mean by high temperature Like what would be an ideal temperature to store coffee? Like below 20 degrees Celsius would be optimal to store coffee. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the winter outside the fridge and in the summer if it's very hot yeah. in the fridge, but in the airtight container. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but of course here we're talking about preserving a really high quality. I'm not saying that you do any of this, the coffee will be not safe to consume unless it molds, mm -hmm. because that's another story. Yeah. But if you really want to enjoy your coffee really good, because maybe you spent a lot of that coffee, so you want to drink it good every time you, you consume it, then this would be the tips. Okay, so now we have our perfect storage <laughs> of the coffee. We grind it before preparing it. 
And I guess also the, the size of the grinding depends on which type of coffee you would like to prepare, no? Of course, if you're a professional, you'll want a really good grinder because that's what really makes a great coffee. Uh, but if you're at home, a manual uh, grinder will be fine or even an electric one. If you can decide how fine or big you can grind it, then f of course for espresso, you want a really fine Uh, ground coffee, whilst, for example, with French press or uh, cold brew, you can have a, a bigger setting on the grinder because what really matters is the time of contact of water and the coffee. Uh, so for express, so the contact time is really fast. So it, water needs to touch the surface of coffee as much as it can. And I'm saying this in a very non-scientific way, but while for French press, for example, the coffee will be in contact with the water for a lot of time or for cold brew even more. So it doesn't matter if it's really fine because uh, it will be in contact with the water with, for more time. But for example, if I grind it too small and then I put it in a French press, can it happen that then it stays too much in contact with the water and then it's like, I don't know, too bitter or... Yeah, that can happen. And also probably if you grind it too fine, then some of it will pass through the mesh of the French press and that will result in you tasting, you know, the, the grounds when you drink coffee. Mm -hmm. That is something that you never want to do if you can avoid it. <laughs> Are there any general guidelines that you could give us on how to understand if the coffee actually tastes good or not? But really basic, eh? for people that are not uh, sensory scientists. The most common defect, I would say, it's um, when you did all of this process and then you taste your coffee and it tastes very bitter or even burnt. Uh, that's the most common defect in coffee. Um, but that could refer on a, of a number of things. It's either a not so good management of the plantation, so the coffee process, or maybe uh, coffee was harvested at various stages of ripeness and not just at the perfect stage of ripeness. So then you have some coffee that was underripe and so coffee that was overripe and then uh, what usually happens is when you roast a poor quality coffee you'll want to roast it very dark so that you avoid all of the other tasting defects and you just taste burn because that's usually like we're used to coffee tasting very bitter Uh, but that's not how coffee should taste. It should be a balance of acidity, sweetness, and yes, a little bit of bitter, but not in an unpleasant way. So that would be like the most common defect that you can taste, even if you're not an expert. Well, so the bitterness, it's uh, similar to the burnt, or I mean, when it's burnt, it's also bitter, or are they two different things? If it tastes like burnt rubber then it's not good uh, 
if it mm, tastes okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's say if it tastes like chocolate that has no sugar in it then that's a good bitter in coffee uh, you can taste that in good uh, robusta you know that chocolatey bitter that it's not a pleasant it's like a bitter we can understand that is good but then if it tastes like something that shouldn't be eaten <laughs> then uh, it's probably too burnt when you have to add sugar in order to be able to drink it exactly and uh, milk yes or milk no it really depends uh in italy maybe we're less used to have milk in coffee but for example in northern europe or north america uh milk in coffee is very common again if you have to add milk because the coffee is too bitter and then you're using milk as sugar then probably there's a problem but if you re have a really good coffee and you want to make a cappuccino or a latte out of it i don't see a problem in that and what is your favorite coffee you mean like preparation or coffee yeah i mean if you want to tell no. us also your favorite producer of no. agroforestry coffee that's also fine we cannot it down but also like at home for example or when you go to your favorite coffee shop what would you order for yourself so before i started working in the coffee coalition i just used to have espresso to be fair or mocha at home but since i started tasting different coffees i enjoy a lot um drip or filter coffee um, because you can taste it for a while longer you make a nice cup out of it and then in winter and it keeps you hot and you know it's yeah. really nice but i think it depends a little bit on the time of the day so for example in the morning i like uh, having an espresso and then if i have another coffee in the morning later then i like to have a filter coffee really depends on the mood actually <laughs> And after lunch in espresso. <laughs> yeah, maybe yes. <laughs> How many coffee a day do you drink with the coffee coalition? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. There's a word out there of coffees we've never tasted maybe because maybe we're just used to have the same brand from, you know, the same type of coffee from the same brand all of our lives. And it's like drinking, you know, the same wine or having the same cheese every day for your life <laughs> so there's a lot of um a lot of fun and interesting things out there so my advice would be to try and try having different coffees for different times of the day or different weeks or whatever your mood is we'll do that for sure and now that we have some more tips on how to do it we can uh, <laughs> we can understand yes. even better no our daily routine of coffee Thank you so much, Silvia. It was super interesting to have this conversation and very, very useful. And uh, good luck with the work of the Coffee Coalition. It looks impressive that just after two years, you have made a lot of progress with the whole network. And so I'm really looking forward to see what is going to happen in the coming years. Thank you, Maria Valentina. And I'll just add that if anything we just said uh, makes sense to you, uh, join the Coffee Coalition because it's a network open to everyone. And when you join, 
you will be in a great network of people interested about making coffee more uh, good, clean and fair. And also you receive a monthly newsletter where we deep dive into the stories of the farmers from the Coffee Coalition, but also a different subject every month. And we link all of the events taking place in different countries of the world where the Coffee Coalition members are. How, how can people join the coalition? Um, you just uh, signed the manifesto of the Coffee Coalition. On your website? On the or? website, yes, coffeecoalition.slowfood.com. But maybe we'll link it also. Uh, of course, we'll do that. <laughs> uh, so you'll also receive the, this guide we're talking about, so you can uh, learn about all, all of the things we talk about and some more and uh, you'll be part of the network too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Silvia. Thank you very much. Before ending this episode, I would like to leave a space to our podcast community. Today, we will listen to a short story from Emmanuel Samuel from Ethiopia, who tells us how to prepare Ethiopian coffee and what a coffee ceremony looks like in his country. I'm Emmanuel Samuel from Ethiopia. There are so many steps in preparing Ethiopian traditional coffee. Ethiopian coffee is made with fresh coffee beans. First, you have to wash them, not because they are dirty, but because you want to scrub off the skin of the beans. Therefore, you put a little bit of water on the flat pan and scrub the beans together until the skin comes off. The second step, roast it over a fire or incense. So far the beans are still green, so you need to roast them over a tiny charcoal stove. Move them constantly on the flat pan so they are roasted equally and regularly. They will become black and shiny because the heat coaxes the aromatic oil out of them. Once they have all reach the same color, you are done. Third step, small workout for the armies, okay? Now comes the tricky part. You need to make a powder out of the coffee beans. Therefore, you need to grind them with a pestle and a mortar. It makes a lot of efforts, so prepare yourself for this task, okay? Sometimes modern families nowadays use electric coffee mills, but we want to do it in a traditional way, right? Keep on. Fourth step, boil and wait. Before you boil the coffee, you first have to boil the water in the jabana, the traditional Ethiopian coffee boiling pot. Once it's bo uh, it boils, you add the coffee powder. Usually it's one spoon for two people. Let it boil for a couple of minutes. Soon you'll get the smell, the awesome fresh coffee. Fifth step is rest in peace. Okay. Once you have boiled the coffee, you can't drink it right away. Be patient. Put the jabana away from the fire and let it rest. This makes the coffee powder go down to the bottom so you are not going to swallow small pieces. This is similar to how Turkish coffee is made. 
Some families strain the coffee through a fine sieve several times instead of waiting. Sixth step, don't forget the extra cup. After a few minutes, it's finally time to taste the coffee. Put sugar in small, handless cups. Ethiopians usually drink it with two or three spoons of sugar and can't believe I prefer mine black. And carefully pour the hot coffee from as high as possible into the cups. On the countryside, they add salt or traditional butter instead of sugar sometimes. Don't forget to put an extra cup on your plate. This is for spontaneous guests or for God. But don't pour any coffee in it. After all, it's meant to be symbolic. The first cup goes to the oldest person in the room. Don't forget to serve popcorn or a peanut with the coffee. This is how it is done in Ethiopia. This is rather new, however, in the past they used to serve homemade pastry called ambasha. But the coffee ceremony also goes with the pace of the modern times, so popcorn is prepared instead because it's easier and quicker. Seventh step, three heavens. If you think that was it, then you are wrong. Coffee is always served in three rounds in Ethiopia. The first is strongest one, or abob. The second is less strong and called tona. And the third is weakest, which is baraka. The third round is, is round is considered a blessing after all this hard work. It would be a pity just to have one small cup of precious green gold, right? Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. It was super interesting. And thanks to all our community who are supporting us. If you also want to join us, remember you can always be part of our Telegram group. I let the link to the podcast description. Thanks again to Silvia Rota for all the special tips and information she shared with us. Thanks to Elvia Vigliani for the essential work she's carrying out on the field. And also thanks to Laura Odorizio for the dubbing. If you like this episode, I invite you to share it with your friends and your network. And please send your feedback, your comments and your questions in our Telegram group. This is Valentina Gritti and you have listened to Slow Food, the podcast. Ciao!